This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome, everyone, to Take Human Action PA, episode 43. I'm Calvin, and I'm your host, and uh, we've got Autumn returning to the show. How are you doing, Autumn? I'm doing great, Calvin. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk about Take Human Action Tour, and especially because anybody who's watching, you can still get to a lot more. We just attended, what, the first of, is it six stops I think they're making? Uh, it's six total, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll... We'll be having uh, someone on who can tell us a, a lot more about that in a minute. Um, but yeah, just to just to say what we're going to talk about tonight, real quick. Uh, we just went to the first, of, like she's Autumn said, of the Take Human Action Tour events. This one was in New York City. Just coincidentally, happened to be the first one. So uh, it was a, it was a great turnout. Um, we're going to go through some of the highlights uh, or takeaways from some of the speakers that we had um, and, you know, the campaign training on the, ne the next day was very valuable as well. So we'll be talking about that tonight with uh, our returning guest to the show, our favorite doctor, Dr. Irene Mavrakakis. How are you doing, Irene? Hi, guys. Hi, Calvin. Hi, Autumn. Thanks for having me Yeah, on. good to see you again. And yeah. Good to see you at the event last weekend. Um, and now we have on for the first time uh, a longtime friend of ours and uh, first time on this show. Uh, he's co-founder and board member of uh, the Mises Caucus. Uh, let's welcome Luke Enser. How are you doing, Luke? Uh, a little nervous, but uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> I know it's not your first rodeo. I've seen you on a show before, at least yeah. once. <laughs> well, regardless, we're glad to have you on. So, thanks for having me. Uh, Here, I'll bring to Luke's first time on this podcast. I actually didn't realize that. Yeah, there you go. Cheers. <laughs> yeah, we've had Mike on a couple times, but not Luke yet. I guess we got to wrangle Jeff at some point. <laughs> yeah, he's the next person we'll have to lasso in. Well, he's going to be busy, actually. He's emceeing at least a few of the upcoming. Uh, yeah, possibly two of them. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember, but uh, <clears throat> we'll, t we'll get into all that. So uh, I have to give some credit to Autumn, who definitely took the most detailed notes, I think, of anyone there. Uh, so that allows us to go through everyone and talk about um, all the points that they highlighted uh, with with a good degree of detail, at least enough to give everyone an idea of like what they talked about. So uh, right, why don't you kick not, us off? But not too much. We don't want to spoil <laughs> it because some of these speakers are going to speak again and there might be 
there might not be too many crazy things happening between now and their next speech. We don't want to give away all the high points. Yeah, that's true. We don't want to give away all of it. And it's definitely different to see it in person than it is to watch the videos after the fact. Now, I know I will have to watch all the remaining tour events on video, unfortunately, uh, for me anyway. But if you all are in the area of one of the future tour events, you should definitely go out. It was a great time. Uh, one of the few instances that I've seen uh, Dave Smith and Tom Woods in the same place like that. that I feel like that hardly ever happens. I, I can't be wrong about that. It doesn't it just doesn't happen very often. So even just the two of them alone, it's a powerhouse right there. Yeah, gosh, was the last time they were together, was that the 2022 Pennsylvania Convention, perhaps? Mm, I thought it was Reno. Sure. Oh, sure. Yeah, they were both at Reno. Right. Yeah. But that might be it for the past year or so. Yeah, but any comments, Luke or Irene, before we start? Uh, just, uh, I, I had a good time, and um, New York City is as, say, expensive as I uh, feared. It's also a lot smaller than I thought. As, I mean, the city itself is pretty large, but everything in it is a lot smaller than it is. But this was the first of, like on upset six events. And uh, yeah, the next yeah the next five are coming up and uh, hope to see everyone there. Yeah, I just wanted to say that I had um, a great time both on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, New York City is home to me. So it was a lot of fun for me to go back home and experience this event. And at the end, which I know we, they had all of the speakers and it was Maj and Tom Woods and Dave Smith and they were answering questions together and Maj was videotaping the other speakers and it was just a really amazing experience. So I just needed to say that up front. Yeah. And uh, one thing I don't want to leave out is on social media, uh, Tom Woods and Keith Knight took a picture by uh, Rothbard's old apartment building. So I was able to track down exactly where that was because they, they might have given an address, but they said it so quickly. It just wasn't able to write it down. But I looked at the picture. I saw one of the street names and I just looked at it. I was like, OK, it's probably on here, these two streets. So so one day when I think it was on Sunday, when it was um, Sunday, yep. walking, yeah, when Luke and I were walking over after we uh, checked out back to the venue for the training, we walked right by it and we made sure to get a picture in the exact same spot that Tom and Keith did. So now we have that. <laughs> a passerby offered to uh, to take a picture. And fortunately, they were not someone who ran off with our with the camera phone. So yeah, that was, that was a double bonus. Yeah, I, that, I was a little worried, but you know, she seemed like a nice lady, so why not? Yeah. Fortunately, we didn't have to go sprinting after her. Yeah. <laughs> Us New Yorkers are actually really nice, don't worry. Yeah, I, I didn't even know until on the way back, Irene actually grew up in New York. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I lived in Manhattan for four years and uh, was born at Lenox Hill. Went mm -hmm. to NYU, trained at St. Vincent's. Yeah, it was great. And that venue, that venue was an old Republican headquarters. It just the amount of... Oh, you mean the Blockchain uh, Center? Yeah, the Blockchain Center used to be an old Republican headquarters. So I just kept envisioning all the smoke-filled back room 
corrupt uh, deals. No, I'm just kidding. No, not really. <laughs> yeah, replace the smoke with invisible blockchain streams. <laughs> yeah, that was great. And well, not all, not all the smoke. Probably also vape. Swap <laughs> <laughs> it out for hot mushrooms, right? I got it. All right. Well, yeah, we should probably get into it. So, um, Autumn, why don't you tell us? Uh, about the first speaker. Yeah, Dell Woolridge was who we kicked off with, right? And um, yep. were any of you familiar with him? Because I was not. No, I was not. And that seems to be the consensus is that, you know, he wasn't really well known to any of us, which it makes sense. I mean, it's so smart to start to start a, a an event like this off that way because people are naturally going to be running late in arriving. But I am really glad that I was there in time to see him because he had so much fascinating stuff. Like he, he obviously was very heavily involved in the civil rights movement in the '60s, right? Um, and he talked. He talked a lot about the the real story um, behind. Oh my gosh! Well, it's only my first glass of wine. Um, uh, um, uh, Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks' name was escaping me for a moment. So we talked a lot about some of the backstory behind Rosa Parks. Now, I used to be an avid NPR listener, and I had heard several, like you know, stories covering that time and you that sick okay? event. And she asked if I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The, the the story arc of of the the direction that NPR has taken is very interesting. But I learned a lot while I was there. Um, but the the so the thing that he that he shared that I found really impactful about the Rosa Parks story was the detail with which, and I mean, I hope what he said was true. The detail with which he conveyed how she handled the situation. And I didn't understand that the the Negro section of the bus was a moving target based on how full the bus was, right? So that was something new that he shared with us. And then that when the bus got full and the and the sit beyond this point got slid back is when she was asked to move. And she said, no, I'm not going to. And this is the interesting part now. The next part is what really got me when because he was you know he's focusing on civil disobedience you couldn't get more civil than that the bus driver said i'm going to have to call the police if you won't move and do you remember what she said back anybody you may do that she said you may do that and she sat there politely i thought that was so great you may do that go ahead do, do what you must and, right because the, the point was for it to come to a head like that. So that, so that was what was necessary to call attention to the situation. And that ended up kind of being the, the focus of what I think he was conveying to us, the concept of causing disruption. Like causing disruption in a civilly disobedient manner, right? But I, I found him fascinating. I found his knowledge of history great. I, I gather that he also had like a slideshow presentation that he usually shares that we weren't uh, displaying in that time. We did a really good job of, of articulating what he was able to share visually. I don't know if anybody else had any more of an impression. Uh, no, just that when you said that, it made me think about the idea that if the whole world said no thank you to COVID mania, uh, it would have never happened. No thank, thank you. you. Yeah, it's no test, no mask. 
you know, it would have never happened, but we were infiltrated with fear, really, is what that was all about. And uh, the NPR thing that you mentioned just reminded me of there's some controversy because they're offended that they were called state media. <laughs> the other day. Yeah. Elon finally <laughs> gave them the gave them the state media label, U.S. affiliated media. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, think it. Uh, she kind of represents the idea of uh, take human action to an extent. You know that one person standing up. You mean can Rosa? Cause, yeah, Rosa. Excuse me. Can cause. A profound change in the world and we just need to remind ourselves of these things yeah and i you know so one of the things that i, I believe it was from npr actually that i learned this she was not the first black woman to resist and be arrested for for doing so I, specifically with regard to the seating on the buses um i'll never remember the name of these was the first person but it she was a member of a political movement that set forth with a purpose of, of seizing and capitalizing on the opportunity. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah, um, it, it reminds me of back when COVID mania was happening, we actually did have someone that we all know who did something very much like that. And I don't know if he would have used those exact words, but probably said something similar. And that's uh, Torin. Did I ever tell you guys the time that I almost got arrested during COVID mania? You have. You, you have to tell now, even if you have told it before. <laughs> I, I I don't think you've told me, no. You have to so, tell it to TV land, Irene. <laughs> so, so the stage is that I knew from the beginning that masks didn't work and, you know, had concerns about everything from the beginning. So this is may of 2020 and it was the day before my daughter's high school graduation and i was really not wearing masks in most places even though in delaware most people were wearing masks and i was trying to be kind and a christian about it but also trying to make some points and uh, it's it's uh, that day i was actually in dmv a music store and a mattress store because i had just moved um and the other two stores are also interesting stories, but we'll stick to uh, the second one. I had had a profound success in motor vehicles, uh, objecting to the uh, mask wearing and made friends with the cop who later came to a political event. But I'll tell that longer story another time when we have time. But then I went to this music store kind of emboldened with my kind of success at motor vehicles. And I was buying a guitar case for my daughter because I had gotten her a guitar for her high school graduation. And I had this typical answer. I'd walk in and it was a small store and he'd be like, you need to wear a mask. And I'd be, I'd say, why? And he said, well, because of the mandate. I'm like, but why? It doesn't work. I really don't feel comfortable wearing a mask. It's not necessary. And, you know, also, you know, you try to be careful because you don't want to, it's not necessarily his fault that they've decided to accept, you know, this is just a human being working at a store. So I really tried to find that balance to not cause human distress, right? These people are, you know, willful participants in a fear mongering situation where everybody's confused. And uh, so I just kept resisting and then he was texting his boss and 
he said, ma'am, you really need to leave or wear the mask. And I'm like, well, I just want to buy this guitar case and then I'll go, you know, could you please let me just do this? And uh, he's like, no, my, the owner is telling me to call the police. Yeah. And I was standing there and I'm like, well, I probably shouldn't get arrested. I don't know if I can get arrested, but you know, I, I'm a physician in this town and tomorrow's my daughter's high school graduation. And she was already kind of upset with me with my standoffish behavior anyway. And, you know, I tried to use some discernment and, you know, how, how much of a line do I cross? And he got on the phone and started describing me on the phone. And there's this other guy just watching, you know, middle-aged woman in curly hair. And I'm like, my, my, my senses came to me. And I'm like, this is not the line in the sand that I'm going to stand for. There might be huge consequences, and it's not going to serve any purpose. And so I kind of left like Thelma and the Louise. I just kind of <laughs> left. And I needed to go buy a mattress. I didn't have a mattress and I walked into this mattress store and the guy's like, you need to wear a mask. And I'm like, there's no one else here. I don't want to wear, I can't believe I actually said it because at this point I was kind of a little bit broken. And he just looked at me, he's like, you're fine. I later became friends with him too. And um, you know how it goes with me. And then I kind of was shopping for mattresses and I was alone in this big mattress store in Slower Lower Delaware and um, I lay down on the mattress and I just started crying. Really? I was just so done with the fact that as a physician I knew that this was not rational behavior and he just came and sat with me and I've been back there many times and he remembers me and I tell him about Liberty Speaks and stuff. And I just said thank you for processing the fact that I really just wasn't going to do it. And you know, he was just very kind. There was no one else in the store. He accepted, you know, that, uh, but yeah. So, um, how did we get to Irene telling the story of how she yeah, almost I, got arrested? But that's well, the story. I, 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 I mentioned relating to Rosa Parks, uh, someone yeah. standing up and you mentioned that, uh, yeah. people had done that. During almost, COVID. Yeah. But, um, cir yeah. circling back to Dale a little bit, um, his, his name was one that I was, semi-familiar with because I'd um I'd encountered him on Facebook a little bit but I wasn't too familiar with him so I wasn't uh I was not expecting him to be on the speaker list but he's um somewhat local to me he lives in Lewisbury in York County so it's not too far from Harrisburg where I'm at yeah yeah I'll have to bring him out sometime too I um I got him uh linked up with uh with the uh, with the York County chair down there so awesome. Jacob I like the right. idea we had a speaker who spoke about a different topic and someone that we can re-engage, someone that brings back to the collective memory, you know, certain things in the past that we need to kind of pull out of the past and into our forefront of our understanding of how you fight for liberty and how you make change in this yeah. world. So I think it was just a valuable addition to the speaker list, and I think it's uh, great that we're keeping uh, communication with them. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I would, I would love to talk to him more if he comes out to some of our meetings. So I'll, I'll be looking forward to that. Um, and just to before we wrap up on that, um, I didn't want to, I did mention uh, Tor and I didn't want to leave that without describing it. So <clears throat> um, I think we might have talked about it in one of our previous episodes with 
torrents. So definitely go back and watch those for the full stories of you know his background. Is just very he's a very fascinating person. But um, short version is he went to I believe it was Reading Terminal Market with a couple people, and there were that was when you had to have masks or cards or both. I don't remember which one now, but he went in and just sat down in the seats and it was all like roped off except for like the one checkpoint and they were checking cards and you weren't supposed to be in there. Um, and he just went in and sat down anyway. <laughs> I think what they just ultimately decided to, to leave him alone, but they were very much, you know, they were very much prepared to get arrested. They thought that's what was going to happen, but they, they just let them be. So in that, in that sense, it was definitely a win. <laughs> Was this back when uh, Torin was going by Audrey? I, I don't remember the exact timeline, but I want to say yes. Yeah, oh. I, that might have had had a bit of a role in uh, not in them not wanting the uh, the, the possibly, <laughs> possibly. But cer- but it certainly worked out. It would have made it would have made the headlines. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, so for anyone listening who's not familiar, let me just make the point. If you want to see who Calvin's talking about, obviously check all the, the, the past episodes of our podcast here. But it's Torin Donowski and it's Don't Tread on Philly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will, I will go back and look and see what those episodes are. I'll say it in a minute. But in the meantime, uh, Autumn, you want to do the intro for Keith Knight? Yeah, Keith, I mean, Keith Knight, so I've been familiar with Keith as through his appearances on several podcasts that I already follow, and I had no idea what he looked like. I had, he's such a friendly character. I, I figured he was somebody with one of the, the LPPA affiliates that I just hadn't met yet, and then when he got up and started speaking, and I heard his voice, I'm like, oh, I know exactly who that is. This guy's a genius. And so in true Keith Knight fashion, he basically gave a rundown of modern American history and how America has has gotten into a lot of wars and bing, bang, boom, summarizing all of the unintended consequences of each war Like that, that was totally counter to the objective of why we supposedly went at it in the first place. And, um, and, and really even uh, several of them connecting the dots of how the people who were left in power is the reason why we ended up going to war the next time. And um, what else? He, so, oh, I'm sorry. Should I just keep going? Because there was a big thing I learned. From yeah, me. go ahead. I've shared with people multiple times. And I think, so the thing I shared with, I, I learned from Keith, I'll share in the context of uh, this story where I was, so I have a job where I, I'm on the road a lot and I have to fill out paperwork and, and submit reports. And I was stopped at a stop sign really quick, making a note on my, on my little clipboard and I always look in my rearview mirror. Somebody stood up right behind me, and I didn't realize it. I was like, oh, gosh, I'm sorry. I rolled my window down as he drove around to pass me since I wasn't going. You know, I'm in the country. There's nobody around you. And I rolled my window down to apologize. And he instead says to me, hey, I want to thank you. Because he read what I, I have stickers on my car. And so had enough yet? Vote libertarian. It's a, a whole custom sticker <laughs> I made with my cricket. Anybody out there with a cricket wants ideas, type of thing. So he, he wanted to thank me because he, he goes, I'm a registered Republican, but I'm really a libertarian at heart. And I want to thank you for being out there representing. 
And I ended up getting out of my car. Like I said, it's the country. There's usually nobody around. So we just stood there for like five minutes, walking both sides of the road, talking. And this is the story from Keith Mike that I shared. I have no idea what the real motivation was of the Pulse nightclub killer. The Pulse nightclub killer, for many of you listening who probably don't know, if you haven't heard somebody in our circles talk about this before, and I'm an avid consumer of podcasts, first time I've heard it. He was actually motivated to demonstrate the pain that he was feeling and that many people that he was empathizing with were feeling as the result of American bombing of civilian targets in Syria. It's recorded on his 911 call with the hostage negotiator. And everyone under the sun, including, let's nail both sides of the, of the table, Obama and Trump, gave public speeches, publicly proclaiming how awful it was that the Pulse nightclub killer killed all these people under the sole motivation of hate for the LGBTQ community. A total freaking lie. He was actually set off by American war actions in Syria. And he wanted to make a political statement. And everybody acted to say anything except that. How wild is that? That's a pretty common uh, thing with most of these um most of these people who are spun spun up for FBI entrapment stings whenever they're try they're trying to talk a target into um from from what I understand when they're trying to talk a target into uh carrying out some act of terror that they can then bust and they're expressing hesitation they don't talk about you know America's you know America's American culture or the bill of rights or any of the other you know neocon cited justifications for why they hate us for our freedoms mm-hmm. what they do is they show videos of you know bombings in the middle east so that's t- that is t- <laughs> that is typically what is used and they're well aware of the effect that it has on on people and why people do it as a response and it's there's a good case to be made that they do it what they do it intentionally to get to get that just so that you can keep creating enemies to keep justifying their own existence because of yeah. course since the fall of the, the fall of the soviet union did uh, i forget who it was that was quoted in saying this but we've done the worst thing to you that we could have we have now denied you an enemy and so they're now creating mm. enemies all over so yeah. and yeah keith's uh i didn't catch all of it but keith's speech certainly did go through how uh america uses and creates and spins up stories of foreign enemies, foreign boogeymen, in order to justify its continued existence and growth. Well, yeah, and it's that classic war myth and misunderstanding propaganda um, interdispersed with the military-industrial complex and the agendas of uh, politicians and the oligarchy that leads to the situation where we feel as tribalistic humans to decide who is us and who is them. And then that concept is propagated amongst the minds of all the people in the various nations in war, right? But um, it just keeps repeating itself over and over again. It's not just repeating itself, it's repeated 
intentionally by powerful actors who wanted to keep going. Well, and history doesn't repeat itself. Human behavior repeats itself. And it rhymes. Humans have been killing each other since humans have existed. Um, yeah. We're just finding really more horrible ways to do it over uh, disagreements and ideas um, and the things that we just mentioned, which is incredibly unfortunate. Um, we're, it's, there's a reason why we do what we do. It's because we know that this there's a lot of evil in the world, and we're we're here to combat it. So one of the other things that he talked about was um, the the rhetoric that it's that we cannot negotiate with Putin. There's no negotiating with Putin. And and he drew uh, some some parallels with like why well, we could. We could negotiate with Mao. There was a time when it was okay to like, like Maoist China is invoked when you want to talk about like the most horrific regimes in history, right? We could negotiate with Mao at one point, but not Putin. Yeah, this. I don't think this was Mao, but um, ping pong diplomacy when uh, Russia. Uh, or the USSR at that point, was, when we had bad relations with them, we just turned to China instead and made Russia look like an idiot because, like, you know, it it didn't really matter if they were communist. It didn't stop us from, you know, trying to establish a trade relationship with them. Right. And the reason why none of it makes sense is because all of this doesn't actually make real sense because of all the things that we know you know, how the military industrial complex influences politicians and decision makers. And then mm -hmm. we get into these same situations and then um, the narrative is set and then Americans happily participate in the divisive politics and pick the Democrat or Republican side, which both have become actually, which makes it easier for us as libertarians to really say neither one of these people want peace right well right it's all about it's all about leveraging the two sides that keep us fighting with each other which um kind of goes back to this the whole setup of the pulse nightclub killer in the first place right instead of instead of revealing any of the information that that pointed to the government's bad diplomacy and bad foreign policies that lead to these problems, they said, oh no, it's because he hates gay people. So we got to really call out and keep people thinking that that there's a war on the LGBTQ community so that uh, you know, you're heightening any sort of conflict that is naturally going to happen in a diverse society. Divide. Right, and they they use that language, you know, the, the war language to again, use the divisive politics and the hot topics, which is one of them. But just as a physician, I would be remiss in bringing up the concepts behind um, these shootings that occur and what happens when we have shootings and the incorrect narrative that leads the focus to potential anti-gun legislation. What we really need to talk about is the mental health crisis. But one thing we really, really need to look at is um, the data on the risk benefit profile of a lot of the pharmaceuticals um, that are given 
to people who have mental health issues and how insurances have cut useful things like cognitive behavioral therapy um, and um, the polypharmacy of various psychotropic medicines for which the overwhelming percentage of them just have these black box warnings for suicidal and homicidal ideation. And in particular, if there's a change or an addition, have an added increased potential incidence of suicidal and homicidal ideation. And people turn a blind eye to this because, you know, we don't want to feel uncomfortable about questioning um, the motivations or the potential medical causes of someone wanting to kill either suicidal or homicidal. But until we have a truthful discussion about um, the problems with psychiatric care in the United States, and in particular, um, there's a lot of studies about the questionable usefulness of the degree of polypharmacy that's used and the fact that uh, treatments like cognitive behavioral treatment has been completely uh, diminished. Um, and, you know, the reasons for the mental health crisis is even more concerning. Of course, COVID mania tyranny led to a profound increase in uh, this issue which we'll see for decades and decades, which is not related to what happened in this case. But I just couldn't bring up these issues when you're talking about a shooting because they are issues that we need to discuss and be honest with ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with having that conversation and turning a magnifying glass on medicine that has um, some concerns as to how it's practiced. Yeah, and we'll, we'll definitely have to have you on for another episode, Irene, where we just talk about that's like what's wrong with modern medicine. That's a that's a whole other let me, topic. Let me let me add two things. A, I am by no means telling anybody to not take their psych meds. And B, <laughs> nothing inherently on this podcast is intended to be medical advice because I do not have a doctor-patient relationship. I'm just saying that we need to look at the standard of care for the multiple medications and the increase and people need to be monitored more closely when there's a change and all of those things. And there's a lot of deficits in psychiatric care in this country that goes back 30, 40 years. So again, yeah, I'm you. not telling anybody for not to not take their medications and I'm not establishing a doctor patient relationship. Yeah. Thank you for those you important clarifications. It kind of include those disclaimers. Yeah. So. Well, I just wanted to make sure that a clip doesn't go out and yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, anything it, um, yeah. so circling back to, to Keith there was there's there was two things I wanted to mention um back to what uh, touching on what uh, autumn mentioned about how Keith pointed out how people say we couldn't can't negotiate with Putin but we negotiated with Mao it's I don't know if it's a it's a case of um just desperation or or just imperial hubris but it seems like it's, it's, you know, it's a combination of, um, you know, not having a peer competitor uh, on the, you know, on the geopolitical world stage for, for a while, for a while now that um, the elites in this country have not needed to be smart about how they approach rival powers, rival nuclear powers. So 
as opposed to Nixon and Kissinger, who, you know, say whatever you want about them. They were, they were at least intelligent enough to talk to the Soviet Union and and the and the Red Chinese separately and not push them together. That's the opposite of what's going on today. Whereas we're waging a proxy war against Russia through Ukraine while ginning one up against China through Taiwan. And that's pushing those two countries closer together. And also because of how much we're flexing, lashing out, that's pushing more and more uh, countries into the arms of the Russians and the Chinese. I mean, yeah, the, Sa- the Saudis and the Iranians just uh, started normalizing relations, and there's talk of going off of the petrodollar. So it's like, <laughs> it's like the people who are telling you that you can't negotiate with Putin are either I don't know if it's dumb or arrogant or just desperate, but basically they're just seem to be just lashing out in a desperate bid to preserve the unipolar moment as much as possible. And then one final piece I want to say about Keith specifically. Autumn, you mentioned that uh, you had not really seen him before. I have seen him before. And uh, just um, it's not something it's not something that can be hidden from. And it's something that I think people should should compliment on. He's lost a lot of weight. He looks good. Oh. He's he, he looks real good. Well, I, yeah, and, I had no idea. I, I he, never seen him in person before. Yeah. And he uh, he mentioned when I when I commented on that he mentioned about how he's been eating um, <laughs> very uh, a lot of um, terrible stuff to terrible healthy stuff in order to get that. So definitely uh, give him encouragement to keep going because oh, it's paying you. off. <laughs> not knowing not knowing what he looked like before, he looks great now. Yeah. 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 I, f- I figured I would comment on that since I did know know that part. Well, yeah. here, here's this is an even better compliment. I think he looks fabulous, and that's not comparatively speaking. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Um, and your I'll, opinion matters a lot more than mine. Probably. <laughs> yeah. No, there you lovely. go, Keith. <laughs> he's lovely and friendly, and we we he joined us for drinks afterwards too. And and what a great guy! I look forward to seeing him again. Yeah. yeah so, that was that was fun. But we'll get we'll get to that. Yeah, I'll I'll just make uh, two quick comments and then we'll move on. So we uh, we have a, quite a few more speakers to talk about. But um, yeah, but you know what? It, it, some of those guys, the mystery might be better. So I don't think we should feel bad if we skip a couple. <laughs> well, I want to at least touch on some of them. But yeah, that, that's right. I mean, for some of the ones that are speaking later, um, but Keith is actually one of them. Yeah. <laughs> but so hopefully we didn't give too much away. Um, but I, I will say without going into the full amount of detail that he did first that, you know, just the um, overview that he did from, you know, pre-World War One through today and illustrating systematically how, you know, even while things seem to be going on in the background from the United States perspective, like how all the actions that we the government took just to accelerate things and make it worse and throw us into wars that we didn't need to be involved in or create wars elsewhere that didn't need to happen it just you know when you see it all together like that it just illustrates a clear pattern that's hard to deny and if you want to if you want to hear what i'm talking about then you'll have to go 
uh, see him speak herself at one of the future events or go back and, and watch the video because I don't want to ruin it for you. The only other thing I'll say is... Better go see him in person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you can compliment him <laughs> on how good he looks. Exactly. Uh, but the only other thing I'll say is going back to Kissinger, even Kissinger thinks our foreign policy today is crazy. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No brakesmanship with Russia, please. That's the short version. <laughs> uh, so uh, with that, let's go to Mike Meharry. So Autumn, you've been doing a good job leading us off. So go for it. Well, I mean, Mike Meharry led with one of his favorite topics, Spooner. Lysander Spooner, right, is 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 invoked often when you talk about anybody who's working with the 10th Amendment Center. Because, uh, you know, for, for anyone who's not already aware, it's uh, their focus is all around nullification. And so he talked about, uh, he quoted, oh, I don't know, did I, I'm not texting, I'm checking my notes. <laughs> um, he quoted, The lady doth protest too much. <laughs> um, oh, actually, and when I'm looking at my notes, I made a big boo-boo just a little bit ago. I, it was actually Mike Mahari who talked about Rosa Parks saying you may do that. I think that- Oh no. Yeah, oh dear. Subject, but so Dale Woolrich was covering all of the mechanics of, of the, um, the civil rights movement, right? So Mike Mahari, if you're listening- all right. Well, it just goes to show you how it all how it all played together so well. So, yeah, that's that's just uh, the genius of the Take Human Action tours. Well, I looked at my notes so I could fix that error. Ugh. Anyway, nice spin, Calvin. <laughs> no, it's all good. I mean, there. I don't think that anybody would, you know. Yeah, yeah, you, you hear that, Mike? Good. I know you've been working hard on on these, so uh, your your work has not been going to waste. <laughs> Yeah. And um, I, I don't mean Mike Meharry, although you too. I meant Mike Heiss. <laughs> Let's um, get back to the summary. <laughs> what was I saying? I'm so flustered now. It's all good. Um, so, yeah, so he talked about Spooner, how he spoke out against the Fugitive Slave Act. He talked about the, the, the concept that a law that is unconstitutional ought to be disobeyed. That it's it's the the responsibility of every American to behave in a manner that is consistent with the Constitution, up to and including defiance of unconstitutional laws. Um, and so, and that maybe that's why he told us the Rosa Parks like, but be nice about it. <laughs> uh, so let's see. And I know he he quoted James Madison and some of his stuff. Um, so, because James Madison even advised that Americans should refuse to cooperate with unconstitutional demands of the federal government. And for anyone who doesn't know, if you're just getting familiar with the Libertarian Party, one of the things that we generally yeah, well, <laughs> that wasn't me. We generally advise that that you you try to get involved in your local government so that you can influence the local government to at the very least take the position of refusing to enforce unconstitutional laws, right? And that's something that the 10th Amendment Center stands for and, and seeks to, to, to educate people about. And um, let's see, anybody remember the name of their podcast? It's on my list. 
uh, whose podcast Mike's? Tenth Amendment Center, yeah. Uh, I don't recall the name of the Tenth Amendment Center's podcast. The Path to um, Liberty. The Path to Liberty. Ah. Uh, yeah. So I do. I do recommend you check that out. Well, there. Yeah, there you go. So there was one. I, um, no, go ahead. Yeah. I, sh I should mention that, uh, especially for these early speakers, I was unable to really catch them because I was manning the door and checking people in. So mm -hmm. I was not <laughs> I was not able to catch uh, all the speakers in detail, but I was able to catch bits and pieces. And one thing that stuck out to me was Mike Meharry talked about how, when you mentioned Spooner, he also talked about how whenever he is online, he has a lot of, you know, uh, a certain type of 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 people will come at him with the uh with spooner's arguably most famous quote saying you know whether the constitution be one thing or another it's either authorized the government we've had or been unable to stop it either way it's unfit to exist i'm paraphrasing but um basically it's like it's a as a way to like argue against the you know the 10th amendment center's motto of you know stick to the constitution whatever and as someone who has uh I think who finds merit in Spo in Spooner's logic and also in the Rothbardian uh, story about how you know the Constitution was brought was brought about by a central centralizing counter-revolutionary coup. Um, I will say that utilizing the Tenth Amendment is certainly a step in the right direction. And anybody who is uh, who's complaining that you know oh this is not the right way to do it we have to we have to get rid of the Constitution. Okay, do it. Go for it. You you can't do it. Okay, then let's let's just stick with uh, this as the yeah. first step to uh, trying to dismantle this uh, centralized empire that we're all living under. Right. So it's like, yeah, keep Spooner in mind, but don't use him against people who are doing work to actually, you know, deconstruct centralized power. Even if yeah. you think it's not going to, if it, if it needs to go, even if you think it needs to go further, it's a step in the right direction. So don't tear that down. Yeah, it's nice to have theory, but at a certain point, you have to leave it behind and face reality. <laughs> what was the, what's this, what's the, uh, what's the phrase? Uh, stop living in Capistan in your head. <laughs> yes, um, that, that's definitely yeah. something that's said in uh, <laughs> in the circles. Where <laughs> yes, yeah. I think uh, Heist, uh Heiss invokes Jordan Peterson a lot when he says he calls it ideological possession, which is basically where I'm, I'm going to butcher this because I'm not nearly as as read up on Peterson as he is. But basically, it's where you get so as basically possessed by your ideology that it, you know, not only informs your view of the world, but it shapes it and distorts it and makes it so that um, you kind of funnel everything through it to the point where it you know it's it's twisting how you uh, how you see the world and he says like ever since he figured out what it means he sees it in everyone including a lot of libertarians mm -hmm. and it's like every most of the very online types who would be the ones who would go at mm -hmm. people like Meharry and Michael Bolden of the 10th Amendment Center with that it's like mm -hmm. what are you doing what are you actually doing you're not you're not operating in the real world per se if all you've got is to 
is bark is uh, quoting Spooner at people who are trying to take a first step, like do something better, do better. <laughs> right. Unfortunately, yeah. the leaders of uh, our country, for the most part, live in that space, and the leaders of public health live in that space, and uh, um, therein lies our situation. The ideological possession space where they think they can just do anything. Right. Hey, can we briefly go back to Keith Knight uh, for a minute? I just wanted to say a couple Very of briefly. things. Sure. He, first of all, he's so incredibly brilliant and so knowledgeable. But if anybody has any interest in um, some in-depth conversations with him um, in preparation for Liberty Speaks 2, Jorge did an online interview with him entitled Debunking the Great Winston Churchill Myth. And uh, they had this great conversation. It's on Liberty Speaks YouTube. It's incredibly interesting and it's incredibly knowledgeable. And I just, if anybody is looking for more Keith Knight stuff, uh, it's on there. Yeah, you'll have to uh, put it in the comments or send it to me later so I can add it in. And also uh, think about <laughs> buying the Voluntarist Handbook. Also by Keith Knight. Certainly a, certainly a worthwhile yeah, I'll, yeah. Just send me, send me whatever you got related to um, the guests, and I can throw it in the sh or not the guests, but the speakers, <laughs> and I can I can uh, throw it in the episode descriptions later on. Uh, okay, we'll do. Thank you. Yeah, for now though, uh, anything else on Mike? Mike Meharry. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, you want to move? Gene Epstein was our lunch speaker. Yeah. So, all right. With that said, then why don't you talk to us about Gene? Sure, and uh, you know, I know, I know, we got to play. You all a enjoy your lunches, by the way. Oh, I brought my own. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah uh, that's fine. That's what I, I had to go across the street because I uh, was not able to eat the lunches that were provided. <laughs> right, right, right. I went with Calvin because I forgot to buy lunch. So. <laughs> okay, so it, it I, I guess I'm the only one here who bought one of the one of the yeah. catered lunches. Okay, hopefully well, you enjoyed it. Was, it was pretty good. I liked it. Good. It was good. Very, so very good, fancy sounding uh, sa sandwiches. The yeah, they were, they were sandwich. very fancy sounding. I would have tried one if I could have. <laughs> I think it was great. They looked great. And I think it was very well done and very well presented. Yep. Yeah. Um, we we had to go with uh, sandwiches just because uh, the venue uh, space itself, like we didn't have tables, so we couldn't do anything elaborate. We just had to have right. boxes with uh, sandwiches that people could eat easily and, you know, bags of chips and yep. little desserts. It was but... super cute. <laughs> well, oh, I found it pretty filling, so I I, I enjoyed it. But anyways. Well, back... Yeah, Gene. back to Gene, though. You don't have to worry about spoiling it because he's not speaking anywhere else. Not any of the others? Uh, and also, well, I'll make one more That's point about this. I saw that at the other events, everybody's doing a little something different. Some have buffets and everything. So check out, yeah. check out your local event. Yeah, Keith is going to several of them. So good for him for traveling around. Yeah, appreciate that. Uh, so, yeah, so Gene, you know, talked about, about economics for the most part. Uh, he made a quippy little joke about uh, listing a whole bunch of people, including Bernie Sanders, who have ruined um, economics in America. <laughs> and uh, he talked about he talked about the cigarettes used as currency in the POW camp. Yeah, I've heard for of World War II. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. 
and and which actually I think gave me a really great idea because we do have people any any of us who even bother try to explain inflation have people in our lives that is really difficult to explain to. And I realized let's stop talking about money and let's talk about cigarettes. Let's pretend <laughs> one cigarette equals one unit of whatever. Well, what if I wrote on a piece of paper cigarette? Are you going to, is that going to feel like the same to you as a cigarette? <laughs> well, that's what happens when you print money out of thin air. That's just me. Well, it's kind of funny now because if you have a Lucy, it's like a huge deal. <laughs> you get arrested for you it. You might get strangled. We were in New York City. You might exactly, get strangled yeah. for it. So it's like now something that was used in, as currency in an informal setting, if you tried to do it today, you would be arrested. Can we, you'd, can be, we... you'd be strangled to death. Let's, be, let's not mince words here. Oof. Can we get our meme creators to create a meme or a picture of what printing money out of thin air, like take air particles and well, well thin air. You know, one of our candidates already did that. He did an ad basically <laughs> crank it, cranking the money the, uh, printing. The crying, yeah, crank, uh, yeah. Jack, so that, that's already that's already been done. Um, <laughs> yeah. well, we'll we're, we're gonna have him on at some point too because he's running for office this year and possibly next year as well. So just stay tuned for that. <laughs> Well, and that's kind of the thing. Um, see, I think if we use the modern concept of cash money as the example in the illustration, that's where we lose people. And it's because of something else that Gene Epstein said that I assert this. He referenced Hugo Harari, who asserted that money is a fiction that has no objective value. Right? And a lot of people think that. As a matter of fact, one of the NPR episodes that made a really big impression on me sometime probably around 2019 in like the last 18 months that I was listening to it, they had this whole show about this, that like the only reason why money even works, why paper money even works in society is because we have all agreed to rely upon it. And I was not economically educated at the time that I am now. So I'm really glad that it made enough of an impression that I could even recall it. But so, so really to, to, because most people have begun, have come to conceptualize cash money in modern society. This is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently to the untrained ear. Everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. As just a piece of paper that, that doesn't mean anything that we all just consent to agree symbolizes X. They're already in the point where saying printing money doesn't mean anything to them. It doesn't make the impact. Like we have to make the point with something else. Yeah, I usually will remind people of the instructions on the Monopoly game. Do you guys remember? Um, I think well, I know what part? you're referencing, but, but I think I know what you're referencing, how the bank doesn't run out of money. And if it does, you just write things on, a, on uh -huh. regular pieces of paper. Yeah, it's a great yeah. 
because if you remember, at least for me, and when I played Monopoly with my parents and with my kids, yeah. whenever that would happen, we'd all be like, that can't be right. And literally that scene should be in the Fed, you know, like, <laughs> like, so that's my favorite reference where I tell people, remember when you're playing Monopoly and they said, yeah. well, if you run out of money, you could just print more. Didn't that feel wrong? That's what we do now. Do you understand now? Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. and you'll get some people with that. Yeah. But I, I think too many people are already lost. To the idea that yeah. that's how it works and it's okay. How many people have even played Monopoly, especially among the younger generation? Ooh, well, I would hope <laughs> lots because there's so many different variations of it. You could have like a space version. You could have a Philadelphia version. That's true. Well, Do you know? Yeah. But circling back to <laughs> wait, wait, wait. All right, all right. One more digression because I'm one, queen of digressions. More. There's when my kids were younger, I found this monopoly game that you could you make all the stuff based on your family and i named it after my son bobby bobby and it and you made all the things about my life and the kids life and you printed it all out and you, the stickers and everything and they learned about me and the family and everything by playing monopoly and even <laughs> the cards fun. we made all these things it was just the greatest okay we have to i'm seeing it now libertarianopoly <laughs> And right, but we can change the whole thing and change that rule. The bank can't print money. Luke, Luke that's your task from now on. You, you don't do come that? back until you have MCopoly. <laughs> the Mises Institute website has a whole article, at least one, of all the problems of with Monopoly as, as it relates that's to That's why you need to improve it upon it. <laughs> As it relates to how it teaches economics, but anyways, we we we're going all, right. all over the place. We're I, down was there, the hole. Was, was there any uh, was there any anything more from Gene Epstein that you wanted? To he go didn't over? say anything else interesting at all. Next was mine. <laughs> He's no. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. No, he's amazing, and then he has that Soho Forum. The Soho Forum, yep. Yeah, yeah, definitely go Monthly to his Soho Forum debate series. Yeah. Which yeah, it's great. Well, it's always during a weekday, so I unfortunately can't really take off. Yeah, well, I'll I'll just say this: I've gone to two in person, and it's very much worth it. So if you can make the trip, do. I think I've only that. been to one in person, and this was uh, probably this the was same the, one I went to. Well. Yes, I'm. I'm sure it was. It was back in what was it, 2019, 2020? I believe it was. It was. Star Wars versus Dave. Yes. Dave Smith. Yeah. Yep. I, and then you had the after party with the panel with like Maj and yep. Um, and Dave and uh, Gene yep. and Mike and yeah. Well, Nick Gillespie maybe. I I don't know if Gillespie was actually in. The, I think Matt Welch. That's or Matt Welch. Was. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, and it was, yeah, it was at Gene's apartment. It was very nice to uh, open his apartment to us. And then as we were leaving, uh, we were supposed to keep it down and we didn't. <laughs> but at any yeah. rate, um, yeah, G Gene's great. He's uh, he's very, uh, very knowledgeable, very smart, very witty. And um, was there uh, any anything else we wanted to talk about with regards to him? Just no, me I personally, we were... I just... He's on the list of people I need to learn more about. I didn't really know that much about him, and um, so he's on my list. I remember, uh, I, rem you know, I remember a 
um, a Tom Woods episode that uh, where he was like reprinting a debate that he and Gene did with a couple other people who defended the Fed versus ending it. And Tom talked about how he didn't really know too much about Gene. And so he was like, okay, I think I'm, I think I'm going to have to do uh, carrying this guy. And then you play it and you have Gene's opening statement. And it is so fiery that Tom says he was blown away. It was like, Oh wow, this guy is yeah. a real deal. And one last thing about Gene, he's very personable. I went up to him at the first show. Oh yeah. I went to. He had no idea who I was or anything. I just introduced myself and said he was one. Of, I said, if he was one of my favorite Tom Woods guests, which is still true. And he was, he just seemed so flattered by it. We had like a very lively conversation. So definitely, definitely go talk to him if you get a chance. Yep. Uh, so Maj was so next. Maj, how many of the future events is Maj speaking at? Do you know, Calvin? How many of the future events? Um, one or two? I can, I can check. Um, yeah, because so, because I think I think I can hit the high points without giving away any of his stories. Yeah, I think it's definitely okay. So he's going to Chicago. Um, he is going to Austin, and he's going to Denver. So he's going to four. He's a trooper. Yeah, yeah um, he's, he's really he's really gung ho. He's been yeah, doing he's a doing lot the work. So I think it was I forget if it was Austin or Chicago where basically. In at that Chicago. same weekend, he's like, oh, he's like double booked for a state convention in another state, and he's actually like, and he's making arrangements to like catch a flight to to yeah. go back and, and do it to do both of them in a weekend. So yeah, yeah he, he's he even told he's, me that he turned down CPAC because he had already booked for the LPPA convention. Aww. No, he's he's really been a trooper. He's really gone all in on uh, on helping us out. So. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah I, I can't say enough good things about that. So um, how, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna step away for a minute to grab another drink. But Autumn, uh, definitely go ahead uh, with your with just your whatever, you, however much you uh, feel like saying. Is I, I, I think it's possible to be different. Boxed, at all. I got a glass of my boxed wine. I got this. Go get your water. <laughs> all right, <laughs> you got it. So so. Does anybody else know how has Maj ever told the story about his first interaction with the police? It was the first time I heard it. Yeah, I, yeah, it was a very interesting story. I'm, I don't know. I don't think we should tell it. Yeah, that's exactly it, right? I'm teasing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's um, profound and enlightening, and um, it, it could have taken him on many different paths in his life's journey. Yeah, um, is what was not lost on me, but I should stop talking now. <laughs> Mosh is also a very interactive speaker. Like he he interacts with the audience a lot. He solicits uh, he solicits feedback. He solicits participation. So he's a he's a very compelling. Yeah. But he's just so engaged, you know. And just to mention, we're going to do a lecture series at his center. Yeah, the Solutionary Center. And. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I, I got to talk to him about that a, just a few seconds. Yeah, go ahead and expand on that because we don't want to give away Maj's speech because it's probably going to be—he's going to evolve it. He talks very free, freely, but I think some of the stories will recur. So, what is it that you guys are going to do at the Solutionary Center? Tell us a little more about that. It's a whole lecture series um, at the Solutionary Center on uh, libertarian principles, starting with an introductory lecture. And then uh, expanding, um, you know, various 
uh, concepts in more detail. Of course, I have my area of expertise and the things that I like to talk about, but it's a group of us um, and uh, Maj is uh, gonna have it at the Solutionary Center and uh, we're working on this project. And I can't even begin to explain the degree by which I'm committed and excited and about this project. And I we're gonna work towards having it on video and having it all documented. And it also expands uh, to the concept where I spoke to a middle school principal locally um, to have uh, me and some others come into the schools and do a civics liberty, liberty uh, elective, like one Wednesday a month at after school um, to uh, kind of offset the wokeism in our schools. And so I really would encourage everybody in their states. Uh, we did a Liberty Story Hour in Delaware, and I'm working on one or two in Kent County to go into the libraries for the younger age groups to interact with your principals at your middle schools. And especially if your kids go there and they know your kids, um, maybe not a lot of libertarians have their kids in government indoctrination camps. But needless to say, if you're part of the community and they know you, because this middle school principal knew both of my kids, he was a high school principal at the time, and he's open to having this elective for the kids. And so I just encourage everybody in their states to start doing this because we really have to counteract the wokeism in the schools. But by the way, Irene. Yeah, what is, hi. What is the Solutionary Center? <laughs> Calvin's going to do that one. Well, <laughs> go ahead, Calvin. Well, uh, I'll say it uh, briefly. So that is his community center in Philadelphia. Um, they run gun uh, safety classes out of there, also conflict resolution, and any other class that anyone wants to teach uh, for free for the community can be taught there. Maj even said he took the sewing class that they did there. So it could be a whole bunch of different topics. Um, definitely go back and listen to episode 42, where we talk about the class in more detail with Irene and also uh, Regina Badger and Rob Coburn, who are going to be helping us with the class as well. Uh, last last thing real quick, the episodes of Torin that I mentioned earlier, episode 27 and episode 32. So definitely go back and uh, check those out. Funny story I wanted to uh, mention about the Solutionary Center. Um, it was in his uh, speech to the LPPA. Maj talked about how one of the earliest things that he did with the Solutionary Center was because obviously anybody who's even remotely familiar with Maj knows he is a big gun rights guy for, for the urban for urban communities and um he uh he talked about how their first uh solutionary center i think i don't know if it's the current i think it might be the current location but basically they set it up like right across from the uh the city office where it's not the get... current location by the way oh, okay so it's not the current location that was at least two locations ago <laughs> okay but um but you know what i'm getting at right mm -hmm. yeah so he uh he talked about how uh, when he first started it up, he wanted to help urban Americans get gun permits easier so they could be armed and effectively defend themselves. So what he did was the Solutionary Center, he would walk them through how to do how to do it. And he had set it up so that the location was like right across the street from where the city the city um, office permitting office was so that people could take 
the knowledge that they got from the center and then just go right across the street to get the to get the permitting process going the city closed and relocated the permitting center <laughs> no they didn't do that but they did change their hours so that they couldn't go when most oh, I thought I thought they home. I thought they relocated entirely well, you know, I, I they, did, they probably did both but either way you can't <laughs> do that anymore <laughs> <laughs> no, I I thought it was I just thought it was uh, very funny to uh, to point out to people that hey this guy this guy was so effective at getting uh, at getting people armed that the government actually went out of its way to avoid him. <laughs> yeah, and we we talk about it a bit with him in episode uh, forty when we had Mahjong. So go back and listen to that yeah. one as well. Like, yeah. yeah, in case you thought we were exaggerating when we said that the government doesn't want you to exercise your rights. <laughs> I don't know if anybody listening to this really thinks that's an exaggeration, but if anyone is out there, we're not. At any well, rate, yeah, if we're, I figure we talk we talk that up since we don't want to give too yeah. much of the content of Maj's speech. But needless to say, it was it was very engaging. It was very illuminating, and uh, I think it was well received. Maja's speeches yeah. are usually pretty well received. Yeah. Reno, he gave what I think was widely considered the best speech at, at our at our little batch so celebration. Hard. And it was it was the best one because it was such a an important message, which is that we're up against some something very uh, very scary and very powerful. And some people are just not going to make the cut. Some people are going to fold and it's up to us to prove him wrong. So, yeah, he spoke at Liberty Speaks one, two years ago, and I really didn't know much about him in detail, to be honest with you. Um, and I learned so much from his speech and we had non libertarians at the event and I uh, had multiple people who were there who subsequently became more engaged in the liberty movement just by their own activities for certain things that Maj said in this particular speech um, that he gave. And uh, I learned uh, to make sure that I come to where people are. I didn't really fully understand, to be honest, that all uh, gun laws are inherently racist. Um, I didn't know really, to be honest with you at the time, a couple of years ago, how successful his, uh, uh, plans and, uh, what he's implemented are. And, uh, I was able to just fully understand, uh, someone like him. And so I just really, uh, appreciate, uh, my journey, uh, with Maj, uh, and coming full circle to teaching at the center. So I'm just incredibly grateful yeah. for his contributions and to his contribution in my own Liberty journey, to be perfectly honest with you. Oh yeah. And I have, I have a lot of campaign stories too. Like when on the campaign trail in 2019, uh, like Mike and I worked alongside him for that. And I, I've told some of them already. I'll tell more in the future. And everyone was supportive. Now. The whole party was on board. Oh, oh yeah, that's that's, <laughs> the, that's the funny part. But I think he even referenced that <laughs> during his speech at the take or to the Take Human Action Tour event. He said, like, "Oh, the party was not supportive," and you know, I he was one hundred percent right. They, you know, largely were not. The apparatus, the leadership, the leadership the party specifically, was not <laughs> supportive. But 
Yeah, but, but coming back to how much work he's been putting in real quick, I think I saw him speak three times in the last month now, which usually does not happen. He spoke at the PA convention, he spoke at the New Jersey convention, and he spoke here. So that, that that's definitely saying something. Like, he's he's not... not like I said, he's, he's gotten really gung-ho in supporting us ever since Reno. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I was with all three events with you <laughs> this last Yeah, month. I think you might have missed his talk at, at the PA convention, though. I missed the talk. Yeah, I. It's yeah, been remarkable. You have been he's coming. Work too, Irene. <laughs> no, yeah, I. Well, compared to Maj, but he's coming to Delaware. Him and Spike are coming to Delaware Convention May twentieth, and Mike Termat is also speaking. And wait till you guys see the T-shirt uh, for Delaware Convention. I just want yeah, to let you know I'll, that you will want it. It's I'll great. just have to see the pictures. Uh, I don't think I'll be able to make any more trips the rest of the year, but. They'll definitely have to show me later. I think we're doing a, I'm pretty sure, 99% sure we're doing a gun class with him before our convention. So nice. the details nice. just went up. Actually, the convention details are up. I'll give you that stuff for the Delaware convention. Yeah, send um, me that afterwards too. Um, but do we have anything else on Maj? No, yeah, let Maj speak for himself. Yes, exactly. <laughs> let everybody Maj go see him at uh, uh, one of the three. At the three uh, locations where he's speaking in the future. I mean, we could do a whole episode on Maj if you want. Yeah, we could do a whole episode on all the tan. We could do whole episodes on all the tangents we've gone down with all. Well, 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 that okay. Save that for the end because I do have something specific (laughs) to say about that at the end. But um, let's let's go to the next speaker for now, which is Tom Woods. And before you ask. Oh, he is speaking at, at at least one of the other events. He is speaking in Denver. So just bear that in mind, but go ahead. Yeah, so Denver, Colorado, you're going to be in for a great treat. Tom Woods is amazing. Anyone who hasn't seen him speak. um, I did not know who Tom Woods was until the first time I saw him speak live at the Pennsylvania Convention in 2022. So my first exposure to him was a live experience. And I'm a loyal listener to his podcast now. And... He taught me how to monetize my haters. I mean, it's somewhere between him and Eric July. And that did come <laughs> for me in my campaign for house rep last year. But, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm terrible at asking for money. So I mounted a great plan, but I didn't really raise a lot of money. So <laughs> maybe yeah, next that, time. Was, that was just very surprising for me to hear because I, I think I started listening to him and Jason Stapleton around like, 2015 and then other than liberty on the rocks like that was pretty much just me on my island you know going on runs around the city listening to those two <laughs> and that was about it that was my exposure to libertarianism at that point so it's, you know it's kind of interesting to hear that people are just hearing about him now not to say that's surprising because there's so many more people that have come in it's just um funny in comparison looking back now. Calvin, you remember remember how i said i was listening to npr in 2019 <laughs> yeah so yeah i, for, I forgot I sometimes you, that i had a bit of a head right start <laughs> which is not state media mm. no, no uh-huh. sure listen because tom woods taught me i want to make sure to support his efforts because one of the things that he was promoting there was um go to please go to the website your friends are wrong about ukraine.com. Wrong about ukraine.com. His, his website. I love that. He, 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 he has the greatest websites. Oh, yeah. Wrong about Ukraine and your friends are wrong about ukraine.com. Yeah. Oh, I think he said both the sites. And then 
that's where you can get the ebook. Your Facebook, Facebook friends, friends are wrong, are wrong about Ukraine. <laughs> and Twitter followers and whoever else. <laughs> well, it started out as your Facebook friends are wrong. Oh, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> it's not just limited to Facebook. <laughs> I got to say, one, one thing that was very interesting about the whole talk is we're in the um, – we're on – we're on, it was on Broadway, right? That the blockchain. Uh, it was on the street Broadway. Yes. Yeah. So we're in the Upper West Side of um, of Manhattan on Broadway, and um, we've got the doors open. And every so often, people are co- people are coming in and uh, you know asking a going around. To mention around. That. Yeah. So a couple people, you know, took a flyer and and hung out the only guy who stayed was one was one guy that who i mentioned there was free beer so <laughs> oh i didn't even realize but, anyone stayed where'd, where'd irene go uh she'll come back i assume <laughs> just keep okay. going okay well anyways so basically because part of the p- purpose of these events is like to mix it up in the culture so um we were we kind of talked about how maybe we should have a speaker outside to uh, to project the speeches out, and then we were talking like eh, that might uh, that might irritate some locals, and also it might be a permitting issue. Uh, oh. When Maj was speaking, I was um, I was kind of thinking, you know, it, this is good content, and I think it would play well in this audience. And when Tom spoke, it's like this is good content. It would not play well in this uh, in this environment. Well, the thing is, they railing so hard uh, at all of the establishment, uh, all the regime establishment uh, narratives and figures. <laughs> I, I was thinking, I was actually thinking, Dave and Maj. They actually spent a decent amount of time, you know, hanging out outside to get some air. Um, and you know, while they were doing that, they were just talking with like random people who were walking by, and it was. And Robbie, uh, Robbie Bernstein, who didn't speak, was there also. And I, yeah, he was he was making some inroads with some people who were on the street as well. So so props to the three of them. Um, they were yeah, for sure. Yeah, they were definitely like uh, trying their best. Like, I mean, it's it's a little tough because you know we're we're talking about uh, New York people very much on the <laughs> left a, on the whole. I, a, but, I think I told you know. I think I told you both this uh, the story of my because I was doing check in and I was manning the door. I think I told you both uh, m- one of my favorite uh, stories because obviously um, I'm sure so, I'm sure most people watching this are aware that this occurred pretty soon after the uh, the Nashville shooting, and so uh, I had you know we had one older gentleman come in and wondering what's going on and um i started explaining to him it's like okay so you, uh so you guys are for the guns and as soon as he phrased it that way i was like oh boy i remember but, that but uh but i was like okay uh yeah pretty much and he said well i'm for the children and i was like well they're not mutually exclusive if you want to have that discussion and then he just left gone. well i think i actually talked with him for a little while longer after that and it's it's all about the way you phrase it like if there's there's one of two ways to go about it which i try to do either attack the left from the left or attack the right from the right if you're in debate mode or you can explain the ways in which your position will accomplish the goal better that they're trying to accomplish like if we're talking about school safety then you know having somebody there who is armed and can protect the students 
is going to do a lot more than just putting up a gun-free zone sign. Right. You know, I, we're not going to get into the nitty-gritty details tonight, but that's kind of the argument I was making, not coming at it from like a our rights trump everything standpoint because that that's not going to win anyone over but like try to see that and i wasn't really trying uh, to get the same outcome that's what you need to emphasize yeah i I didn't really go into i didn't really go into details i just was trying to take care of it quickly so it was like right (laughs) but uh real quick irene ran into thunderstorms oh maybe she is coming back i thought she wasn't but yeah so it's uh up in the air whether she will be back or not um just wanted to point that out um so anything else on tom um let's see uh you know he he actually um he started talking about about i'm super paraphrasing when i put it this way politics being a popularity contest and it, it like he definitely got me thinking and i have kept coming back to this in my mind in my quiet times as a uh, rabid consumer of, po- of podcasts i don't have a lot of quiet times but when i have i'm thinking about what tom said and i'm thinking about like what can we do to make ourselves the popular kids as a party as advancements uh, you know, getting people on board, like what, what can we do to make us the popular kids that people want to be a part of? Because especially there's a big anti-establishmentarian mentality taking hold, right? So why not, why not embrace it? And, and I think that's actually, now that I'm saying it out loud, it's one of the things that we definitely struggle with, right? As a party, we all have our own different ideas about how to go against the green. Yeah, there was tornado and thunderstorm warnings tonight and uh it's better. We're better now. Yeah. Yeah, so I think she she might be gone again. We'll see. Oh, that's why it's better. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 come back to her. So um Irene, let us know you're okay. Text me. <laughs> Okay. Um, I I think I take it we can move move yeah. to our our last, last speaker, speaker then. Yeah, Dave Smith. Uh, the last speaker, and then the campaign training is what we have left. Um, yeah. We're so the last one was Dave Smith. He will not be speaking in any of the other events. Um, but his topic was a little more was a little more personal than the rest, which I particularly appreciated. It really struck a note with me. Um, but I'll, um, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll come back to that. So, um, Autumn, what, what do you want to say about it? Well, I mean, we were standing next to each other for this one. So, you know, I even looked at you and I was so do you think I'm cry. <laughs> I pointed to my ears, my, my, my eyes welling up with tears, my ears anyway. And, uh, <laughs> um, so, so Dave talked about something that he's, he's, at least from what I've observed, he's only casually mentioned in public before um, about his his second born, his son being uh, you know being diagnosed with, with a heart defect while um, his wife was still pregnant and having had open heart surgery at just three days old. And as a parent, now I'm the only parent left on the on the cast at the moment, aren't I? 
I knew exactly what he was talking about. Like, I can tell you, here's one thing that happens when you have kids. You're never afraid of the dark ever again. At least not when your kid's with you. And it's 100% true. So whatever you're I'm afraid of, you're afraid to go into the dark basement. Are you ever afraid to, like, get the laundry out of the dryer in the basement in the middle of the night? Like, I'll just get it in the morning. You never, Nobody ever chicken out. Somebody who's listening knows what I'm talking about. If you don't have kids yet, once you have children, those stupid little things, you feel like you find this strength inside of you that that just bubbles to the surface and you say, I got to hold my crap together. I got to get this done. I know that my fear is irrational and therefore I must behave because irrational thing is to be not afraid. Um, and, and so that's my version. That's my way of articulating the story that, that and the point that Dave was making to us. And, you know, he was explaining about how, cause, because this is his second child. He had a toddler daughter at the time who they needed to not let her think that the world was coming to an end, that something terrible was happening. You, you don't want to overly traumatize your children and you need to basically suck it up. Yeah. And, and march on. And he needed to be strong for his wife too, who was, who was, you know, going to be even more affected by the stress of the situation. And yeah. yeah. And, and when he, it, it actually struck me so deeply when he made the transition and drew the parallel to how we have got to keep marching forward because the libertarian party is the party of principle. We're, we're not just a set of random social ideologies. We are representing principles that make it really easy to make a decision about what's the right thing to do in, in even scenarios that we haven't even imagined yet. And yeah. we're fighting against people who are completely captured by financial interests and manip manipulating our government and taking money from the people and in their own self-interests at best. Right. And we have got to just suck it up and keep marching onward and keep doing the work and keep showing up every day and keep advancing in whatever way that we can the same way that he and his wife, well, they were scared to death and uncertain about the outcome that they were facing, but showing up every third water. And even though inside they were freaking out, they put the work in and they 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 stole themselves to, to, to make it at least productive, to make the days move forward, to make her life feel like it wasn't about to end no matter how much they were like so no matter how much we were despairing about the little losses that we're inevitably going to face every day yeah and one one thing that he didn't mention this time that he has mentioned in the past was what happened while all this was going on because he had he had been you know, staying with his wife in a hospital in New York City for days on end. And this was in the middle of the COVID crisis. And, you know, he had, they were just both completely exhausted and they'd forgotten 
that vaccine passports were still a thing. So they just went out, left the hospital, took a break, took a breather to go in a diner and get some food. And they just sat down, didn't even think about it. And the, when they got to the table, the guy said he needed to check their cards. And it was only then that it had occurred to him that, like, this is still New York City in the middle of the crisis. And, you know, he basically begged and pleaded, like, we haven't had anything to eat for days. Uh, um, you know, can, you, can we just get some food? And they wouldn't let him. So he had to leave in the middle of all of that. Like, he couldn't even get food. Yeah. It's just... That's well, he could kind of have if he just did about. what he was told. Right. So that, that, that's the part that's really painful about all this. So, And Irene is finally back, it seems. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I think consequences of these storms. I'm yeah. sorry. I heard the Dave Smith part. Um, yes, yeah, so we were talking about Dave Smith. We were talking about his personal experience around the birth of his uh, around the birth of his son I believe it was his second child his son so many uh, shaped what lessons you draw from it yeah there's so many wrongs yeah just the need to keep yourself together in the face of overwhelming struggle adversity and you know yeah both in terms of you know, for your family and the people around you, but also for for the cause itself. And it's not easy. It's something that, you know, we all struggle with every day, but, it, you know, it is something that you know, we have to do to the best of our abilities. Yeah, I think his personal story is um, so profound and moving. And every time I hear him speak, um, I learned something just so amazing about his journey. And he spoke at the Fifth Brewing Company a couple of months ago. He had a comedy show and we went up there and he told him, he told us about his journey to God. Um, yeah, that played into it um, as well. Yeah, it's um, very moving. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think the short version of that is I'm, I'm underselling it. But I don't know what episode of his podcast it was on, so I can't reference back to it. But he had, I don't think he had never made a prayer to God in his life. He was atheist or agnostic. He just didn't believe, didn't think about religion at all, more or less. And around the time his wife was giving birth, um, there were questions about, you know, if his child would make it, if his wife would make it. And they took her back and he had never talked to God before. And he basically sat in the hospital waiting room and he was like, God, I know I've never talked to you before, but please, please, if you can, you know, save my wife and child, then, you know, I will... I will know that you're there looking out for me and that you, know, you you have a presence in this world. And they, you know, it took a lot of effort as we've outlined and there, it was a tough, no question of that, but you know, they did make it and he has a, you know, a 
he has his wife and two children now. He has his family, and you know he's been he's been a Christian since then. Yeah, I really appreciate the way he shares his personal stories, and um, they personally I, they affect me, and I, I learn a lot of things from him. And I wasn't particularly expecting to hear him tell his story and journey to God when I went to see him at his comedy show and brewing company. And, you know, I've had some Christian journeys the last few years myself, and he's just a yeah. very valuable part of the Liberty movement in particular. Yeah, it sounds his... like it was a very different show than the Potts, uh, Pottstown one. <laughs> he was, it was many funny stories. I'm not saying it was a comedy show, but for whatever reason that day he chose to tell a mini version and it uh just made him me personally understand him better so uh, he's such a profoundly important part of our liberty movement in the greater liberty space yeah, yeah for sure so any other comments on dave all right uh well let's leave some time at the end uh for larry sharp's campaign training the next day on sunday um anything so, we want to say about the after party i had a good time oh i guess yeah we could touch on that briefly um so yeah keith knight was there and i also had a uh I had gene epstein good... and his wife stopped by briefly okay i, I missed him he, he really wasn't around very long at all but okay. he came by said hi and then they had to, I think uh, Hisako, his wife, said uh, that they had to get going because it was a ways away. Yeah. He did, I also he did talk, make an appearance. I also talked with uh, Dan Sanchez from Fee. Um, yep. Yep. Yeah, Dan Foundation Sanchez for, was, for, was there. Uh, he, he helped yeah, run the table. Economic education. And, he, yeah, he's a, he's a very uh, very cool guy, very interesting guy. I'm looking forward to talking with him more yep. later on. I was glad I got a chance to interact with him. Uh, Mark Tanser from uh, Taggart Trading in South Florida Gold, I believe it is. He's an old friend of mine, but definitely, definitely check him out. Oh, he deserves a free plug. <laughs> those silver, uh, those silver nuggets were definitely drawing attention. But yeah, yeah. We, we were there. Uh, lots of, lots of, lots of drinking, lots of, uh, lots of laughing, lots of uh, little stories and teasing, and uh, some food as well. So it was yeah, a and. Time. Keith Knight is forever the defender of my cauliflower buffalo bites. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. Somehow those ended up on a plate outside. I don't know how. I mean, it's really just a story. It's just yeah, a, a story for another time. Yeah, uh, it's not for but now. Yeah, but... uh, I, I think that that is worth mentioning, though. That Theo Talcott is is he the. Um, the vice chair of the people's party or something like after um, the event it was great to have him there yeah we had yeah. A, we had a couple people's party uh guys there who sh who decided they would check us out it was great yeah. yeah he drove down for from vermont so shout out to theo for coming down for that it's yeah. great to see some of the coalition relationships paying off like that yeah. also i think it was i don't know if it was the proprietor or the owner he he actually came out and was and chatted with us uh at times, and he seemed really open to us, but of course, he fell back on what about the roads? So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that's just a learning process thing. <laughs> yeah, no, but we had it at a good time. 
Yeah. Have a good time. All right. Rose I mean, it's not matter. I could, I, we could do a whole episode on what we learned from Larry Sharp if you wanted to, honestly. Yeah, that might, that might merit its own. We've episode. never gone this yeah. far. This but um, yeah. just this, it's like, already an hour and a half. Yeah, just, was... just give us like we'll, we'll just I'll I'll trust I I hope it's okay with you guys. I'm just gonna trust Autumn alone to summarize what the key takeaways of what Larry said, and then we'll we'll wind it down. So yeah. Okay, so I'm going from total memory because I actually have those notes on my iPad, which I didn't even take out for this. So the the biggest thing that hit with me, which especially now that I had, because I have I have gone to our candidate support group and shared this this specific point, and it maybe it makes just as much sense to you guys as it does to me after I reiterated it to people. But when you're a candidate, it doesn't matter how much you profit from your fundraising efforts. It just matters that you keep raising funds. So if you spend $5,000, okay, you know, let's actually talk more relatably to the local candidates. If you spend $500 to run a barbecue fundraiser and the fundraiser only raises $600, that's a huge success. It doesn't matter that you only profited $100. A political campaign is not a business. It is a passion project. That's what he he elaborated on. But that aside, like the point is, so so candidates are judged based on how much they raise in funds when you report, because, you know, these things have to be reported to the state or to the federal government. Um, And you've now raised $1,100. It doesn't like you raise the 500 and then you spent the 500 and you raise another 600. That's $1,100 that you raised. But also in those efforts, right? You're making impressions. You're, you're, you're creating opportunities for people who are there because they're interested in you to learn more about you. Cause even your friends and family who think that you're great, they're not casually equipped with the talking points to explain to people why libertarian candidates should be considered. But if you nail them down for a three hour barbecue where you're paying for all their drinks and maybe, maybe doing some raffle fundraisers or something or not raffle, right? You need a special license for that in most States. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. You know, you're like, maybe, maybe you're, you're selling, you're selling yard signs for a mild, uh, 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 (sighs) Oh, what's the, what's the word when people make money off of something? Profit. Profit. Thank you. <laughs> Profit. It's, hey, look, just one glass of wine. That's not so bad. Oh, <laughs> man. But anyway, so, so, you know, you're, you're getting, you're getting all of your literature out there to promote yourself. So it's all worth it. So do not, Luke, like you said, do not think of it as a business. That's exactly what he said. And, and but it's not intuitive without some examples of exactly what that means. Um, What's the other, you know, he talked about, he talked about all the things that you need to run a decent campaign uh, on your team. What's your idea? You got a thought? No, I, I was also going to say another thing that he mentioned was activists and candidates are different things. They play different roles. They are distinct. Right. Yep. That was uh so I, I guess I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but. Oh no, I appreciate it. Cause I was kind of floundering where to go next. Yeah. yeah. So what is it? You got you've got activists who are generally single issue focused and you can use them on your campaigns, but you got to really make- passionate. They're really driven. Mm-hmm. 
they're they're willing to get the word out yeah. and um but they're also not uh they're not and and we we talked a little bit there was quite a there seemed to be quite a little lengthy exchange on uh culture war stuff and larry said mm-hmm. yeah the the best po- the the thing you need to do as a candidate is not be on the opposite side of the person you're talking to it's the candidate's job is to show up and communicate but uh don't get don't get immersed in the culture war have you know you can have an opinion but whatever answer you give past the litmus test of not being on the opposite side of whoever you're talking to right. and uh the activists leave uh, the culture war to the activists yeah well yeah but the most important point that i think i learned from him is what you have your candidate subsequently work on as it relates to when they get called to question on a culture war issue to not give the sound bite that puts you in the duopoly box and that you force them to have a policy issue response to the culture war question without avoiding it. And then we reviewed the culture war, good candidate answer to abortion and even uh, transgender surgery for children from a libertarian perspective. And so that was just a really good way and really helped me to process. And, you know, as an advisor to Termat, it's just a very good learning experience. So Larry was my favorite part of the weekend and I learned so much and I'm very grateful. And just for the record, the candidate training that he did was free and open to anyone and everyone to attend. Yeah, yeah, it was. yeah as well they. It all. was not. It was three hundred bucks. Stop. Why did you say that, Irene? What? What? You don't know why okay. I didn't say uh, that. I'm kidding. I. I wasn't going to. Yeah, that was a very specific basically, number, though. Well, Irene has. Uh, Irene posted a photo that we took on on Sunday of all of us, uh, you know, to Twitter, and because she does not have as many of the uh, certain um, elements that are not too fond of us blocked. Uh, they swarmed <laughs> and jumped in and started denouncing yeah, let, it. Let's not, let's not go too <laughs> far down that road. Um, By the way, it I, was an MC event which had nothing to do with the LP, but somehow uh, that that's the metric, you know, yeah. comparing it to, you know, yeah. I will. It, it was... <laughs> It, well, it was quite the. Uh, it was quite. It was quite the. Uh, at least frustrating and and entertaining. The the few times I dropped in to yeah, take a look so at it, but <laughs> I, I do have to point out we are very close to being our longest episode ever. So far, that is Scott Horton, who has the longest episode ever. But we are about to pass that, and I don't. That is want quite the accomplishment. <laughs> So we should wrap this up because I I do not want to break that record tonight. Well, <laughs> that needs to stand for a little while. So yeah. well, um, at any let's, rate, just, let's just I, go around and do our plugs. Uh, and thank you all for coming. I, I definitely want to say that. And thank you all for attending the, the Take Human Action event. Um, so we'll start with Irene. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as myself, Irene Mavrakakis. Um, check us out on libertyspeaks.world. Come to the Delaware Convention May 20th. Check out more information on the website. And also there's an event tomorrow that I'm helping promote with the LaRouche organization on the LaRouche YouTube. And it's entitled 
what would a competent U.S. president do tomorrow? And it's at 9 p.m. tomorrow online. You can check it out on LaRouche YouTube. And two of the speakers are Mike Termat and Jorge Basada. And so we're having LaRouche people, socialists, and um, libertarians uh, debate and have this discussion. And I'm really excited about it. Yeah. And just to, uh, just to contact, check that out. the LaRouche people that you're talking about, they were part of the Rage Against the War Machine Coalition. Mm-hmm. Are part uh, of it. Yeah, and um, I've gotten to know them really well. I went to an event in Manhattan and uh, Daniel Burke and Anastasia, and I really like working with them. And they're hosting the event. I'm Liberty Speaks is co-promoting, but it's going to be a series of events leading to uh, more prominent and uh, debates. Uh, and it's a great uh, offshoot project of some of the coalition members um, and the idea that we're going to have libertarian socialists or communists and um, LaRouche people debating what would a competent president do tomorrow, a live discussion on economics amongst libertarians, communists, and members of the LaRouche moment tomorrow at 9 p.m. Right, it's all over you. my Twitter. All right. Thank you, Irene. <laughs> uh, Luke, what do you got? Well, um, as far as uh, me personally, I really don't do much on Facebook anymore, and except in uh, except in groups. Um, I have a personal Twitter now, uh, Luke Enzer MC, but I don't do too much with that either, except bug some of the uh, some some of the other uh, uh, other libertarians a little bit. Well, well, <laughs> Mr. Irene, co-founder but of the main. Of the hold on, hold on. Okay. Let me give my actual plug. <laughs> In in the uh, in the spirit of what we've uh, actually come here to talk about, I'd say takehumanactiontour.com for the for the upcoming events, and that'll be Chicago, April fifteenth and sixteenth, uh, Chicago, Illinois, obviously, Nashville, Tennessee, April twenty second and twenty third, Austin, Texas, April 29th and thirtieth, Oakland, California, May thirteenth and fourteenth, and Denver, Colorado, May 27th to 28th. And yeah, go to takehumanactiontour.com and you can get the Eventbrite links. And um, from there, you can get uh, lodging and everything else. Yeah. Go to the episode description for the full list of speakers at the remaining tour events. You will not want to miss them. So thank you, Luke. And uh, last autumn. Yeah. So thanks, everybody. Um, I've got, uh, oh, you know what, we, the, uh, it's not a Mises Caucus specific, I believe, it's an LPPA event. We have a 420 outreach event scheduled for April 20th, in case that was a little too quick. <laughs> uh, so if you're, if you're interested in joining us for a little community outreach, I know it's a Thursday, they might think it's suspicious if you call off work, but I mean, don't partake so you don't get busted on a, on a test after. But we're not going out to smoke pot public. We're actually just leveraging it as a great, like, hey, happy 420. Do you, have you heard about the good word of libertarianism? I just I was gonna say, I wonder what the outreach could possibly be about. Well, I mean, I don't want to give it away because I don't want anybody to- No, no. no, no, it's supposed to be on set. But reach out. You know, so Autumn Pangea is a pretty uh, unique name. You're going to be able to find me on Twitter and Facebook if you're looking for me. I've got my blonde curls you'll see in my in my profile picture. Heaven forbid there's another account. Um, 
And, but then also, I am the uh, campaign manager for Ken Krawchuk, who has declared his candidacy for Pennsylvania governor in 2026. So we're getting a really nice early start. If anybody's interested in getting warmed up with a statewide campaign, we're looking for people to help us out. So reach out. And thanks. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is worth pointing out that. Um, thanks for what? I'm trying to remember, is there even a statewide race in PA in 2024? Because I'm not sure there is. No. Yeah, I didn't think so. So there, there won't even be another one until 2026. So, um, yeah, we'll leave it at that, though. For the presidential run. Oh, right. Yeah, not statewide. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, that's yeah, that's a little bit different. Technically but, statewide, but yes. Right. So if we go like two minutes longer, we'll beat Horton, and I don't want to do that. So <laughs> well, I'll, I'll end it here since we've already shouted out the Take Human Action Tour events. I will say our next episode next week uh, will be with a very – promising special election candidate, um, Elijah uh, Shreech, uh, I'm going to say his name wrong, Shreeching. Um, I'll have to ask him uh, before we get on the episode next week, but um, I'm very excited to have him on the show. Um, and until next time, don't forget to take you in action. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Take <laughs> Take care. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.